Okay, welcome to Chronically Healing. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Julia Greenspan. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Did I say your name correctly? <laughs> yes, you did. Julia. Yes, Julia. You can just call me Julia. Julia, perfect. So today we're actually going to be talking about Lyme disease, your ex- expertise in the matter, as well as your experience as a patient of Lyme. Can you please go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about your story? Yeah. Um, so as, as you said, uh, my name is Dr. Julia Greenspan. I've been in practice since about 2006. I graduated uh, from a medical school in Portland, Oregon. I actually grew up on the West Coast. So, uh, and then after graduating, I moved to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And so I'd always been raised around an area where we didn't really have to, I never, I mean, I understand that Lyme disease existed, but I didn't have concern that I was going to get bit or it just wasn't part of the reality. Uh, And when I moved here, uh, you know, and I'm not a, I mean, I like, I love the outdoors, but I'm not a super rugged outdoorsy person. And I I live on one acre in Mm -hmm. New Hampshire. And soon after moving here, I developed symptoms. Uh, I, at the same time I was opening up a practice, I was starting a new family. So a lot was going on and I didn't realize until a few years into practice and I was already treating uh, patients with Lyme disease because there's mm-hmm. so few doctors here and mm-hmm. people just started coming that needed help. And I, I realized it dawned on me one day while I was meeting with patients, uh, symptoms that I had been dealing with and sort of explaining away you know, oh, I'm tired. I've got two, two young kids. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm not getting the gym as much. I'm not doing, you know, I, I'm getting older, you know, all those things like you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I realized I was like, oh my gosh, it was like a, you know, bricks just landed on my head and, and um, with some symptoms I was having that I just totally was explaining away. And I, I sent out a test for Lyme and a few weeks later it came back positive. And so I started on treatment and it was about a two year journey through that process. And I actually had Lyme and also a co-infection called Babesia microti mm. and, uh, oh no, excuse me, Duncani. Sorry about that. Um, and, but either way, uh, Babesia is related to malaria uh, or mm. it's a malaria like illness that's carried by ticks. It's, it's a parasitic infection that actually, um, infects your blood cells, okay. red blood cells. So, um, so it was about a two year journey. So while I was treating Lyme, I was actually still seeing patients and treating patients. And so it was, it was a very unique experience, not a typical experience that, that yeah. patients through. I mean, I kind of had a built in support system going through the illness, you know, patients would come in and I had a pick line for several months with IV antibiotics because I had neurological Lyme as well. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And my kids at the time were four and two. So it was a very interesting, I look back and go, how did I, how did I do that? And I kept my practice going at the same time. I still to this day don't know how I managed to do all of that, but, um, and I would have, I would sit there with my IV going and a patient coming in and seeing me and, you know, I'd either be meeting with them about their IVs or about their medications. And it was sort of a, it, you know, a, it was very much a very built in supportive um, situation because the majority of my patients at that time were also those suffering from tick-borne disease. So yeah. I te- I practice here in New Hampshire and probably one of the most infected areas in the country. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So the, the New England area, but um, you know, there it's very highly, you know, very very uh, high population of ticks in this area, and then those that are infected um, mm-hmm. in northern Massachusetts and kind of in this belt um, along New Hampshire up into Vermont um, and the neighboring states here in New England. So for me, I think I got it by, um, I have cats and I, when I first moved here, you know, they were city cats living in an apartment and I was like, go out and be free, you know, you <laughs> go, go, you know, wander, be, you know, go hunt things and do stuff <laughs> and, and live as cats. And I, I think they brought ticks in the house mm. and, and then they, you know, cats, you don't really control where they go. They kind of jump up on your bed. They get, you know, on the furniture. It's yeah. harder with cats to control that than with dogs. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty positive that I got bit, you know, just from exposure in my house from my cats bringing it in. And I just didn't have the awareness from being from the West Coast. This is, you know, soon and after moving here. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit about my story. I've been practicing as a Lyme literate doctor for about 12 years now. Oh, wow. And I've been in remission. And I haven't had, I haven't treated tick-borne disease for myself for about five or six years. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. But so I'm from um, northern Wisconsin. So the ah. tick business has been <laughs> my <laughs> life, my whole life gr- growing up. We were always like checked for ticks. We always had dogs. Um, our cats didn't go outside, but we had multiple dogs. So even with like the, the tick treatment that you can give them, I mean, when you live in northern Wisconsin, like it's, 
I feel like they still come in, even if they don't bite the dog, they still like come in on the dog or whatever. So, and then two, just being outside as a kid, like I would, I've, I've been bit by ticks so many times, which is why I was tested for Lyme and and they never found anything. But like we were talking about before I started the podcast, I, I have no idea what they even, what they even tested for, but what are some of the symptoms that go along with Lyme? And then are there different ones? You mentioned neurological Lyme. Is there, is there like different symptoms that go along with that? Yeah. It, it first of all, it depends. Um, it, it, there's many factors that, that, uh, de- that determine how someone's going to present with Lyme or what their, how their mm-hmm. body's going to respond to that. The first one is probably where the tick bites you. So yeah. a lot of people get tick bites up around their hairline, you know, yeah because you're going to miss those, you know, kind of at the base of the head or around back around the ear. Uh, and that's going to probably be more highly likely a, a neurological issue, sort of, mm. you know, getting a bite from like the shoulders up because the spirochetes go right into where, you know, your brain and your, and your spinal cord are. Uh, others, you know, if they get bit in the lower limbs, it's not to say you can't get neural Lyme from getting bites um, in the lower aspect of the body. It's just, I find it's more, you know, it's, it's more high likely. Mm-hmm. Um, others just have it encapsulate in a knee. You know, they might just get a swollen mm-hmm. knee or have it just be a real specific area in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many people, a lot of people associate getting a bullseye rash um, or having that, that potential yeah. kind of red ringed rash. But I don't see that being, a lot of people will dismiss a tick bite because they don't see that, but only 30 or 40% of people that get bit or, you know, maybe even less than that manifest a rash. In mm-hmm. fact, it's a gift or a blessing if you get one, you know, if yeah. you have to get bit by a tick, at least to get the heads up that something happened. Most of my patients don't remember ever being bit. Um, by ticks, uh, even living here in, in, in New England. And if they did get bit, it's like at the time, nothing really happened. It was, you know, consequential. They didn't notice any symptoms right away, but it wasn't until like a few months later that all of a sudden little things started to creep up. And then of course they're on the path to going and seeing specialists um, mm. for symptoms. So, you know, stuff like muscle pain. So frequently a lot of individuals get diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, changes in energy. So chronic fatigue becomes mm. another um, diagnosis. Um, change in cognition. So yeah. more brain fog, uh, difficulty concentrating, word recall. And of course, if the bite was in the head, it's going to be sensory stuff. So it's going to impact how you see and how you hear. You may have more sensitivity to light and sound or see spots in your eyes, floaters, sparkles, hear ringing in your ears, get mm. more dizzy, um, just be really kind of just altered, you know, just not, not in tune with your body, a little more clumsy. Um, a lot of times people will present with, um, you know, typical symptoms of an infection, a fever, sweats, um, you know, body aches all over, lymph nodes enlarging. Uh, other people get issues. And, and there are people who can have issues in all of these places. Like most of my patients, I go to, from head to toe and they, you know, you really know it's a tick-borne disease patient. Um, and I'll say tick-borne disease because there's just so many, there's more than one disease that a tick can carry. Mm. And, but they'll have symptoms in their head and their chest, you know, in their, in their musculoskeletal system, neurological symptoms. Um, but you know, typically, uh, they can have issues with heart palpitations, chest pain, mm-hmm. uh, nausea, stomach issues, um, onset of, so we talk about autoimmune, mm-hmm. um, I personally have Hashimoto's myself. Um, and so the, but autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's or thyroid imbalance or developing some, you know, celiac disease, um, which is a a sensitivity to gluten or an Mm -hmm. allergy to gluten where that wasn't there before or other food sensitivities that weren't there before, um, you know, is also very common to come up. And then you'll also see markers go up for autoimmune disease where, again, a lot of people who have symptoms but don't think in terms of a tick bite because they never saw one will go and see a rheumatologist and then they'll have their elevated markers for common autoimmune disease and then they'll just start getting treated for an autoimmune disease. But the underlying cause is a bacteria. Mm, like that root cause. Yeah. Exactly. And if that doesn't get treated, then really it's just going to be symptom management. Interesting. Um, over the years instead of, um, you know, really getting to the cause where maybe they wouldn't need to be on medications in order to manage the symptoms for years. Cool. You know? That's interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to prevent getting Lyme? Is, like, I feel like not really. Well, yes. I mean, there's definitely having an awareness. I think that, you know, living somewhere here, I, I 
you know, it's, it's been interesting to watch in the culture here, uh, living in New England, that because ticks, and you might have dealt with this in, in Wisconsin, is that when ticks are around all the time, it's sort of like, well, yeah, I just pulled it out, whatever, and there yeah. wasn't a ring, nothing happened, just move on. <laughs> and so, and, and the infection risk within the ticks has increased, you know, even back, you know, when people were like 20 or 30, 40 years ago or longer, when yeah. they would get tick bites, it's a different there's, you know, a different um, milieu. There's a different, you know, <laughs> microbial thing going on here. So um, a lot of people kind of just go, eh, you know, whatever, got bit by a tick. But here, uh, because the infection rates are going up, I have noticed over the past decade that people are getting way, much more vigilant, much more about, you know, self-care. Mm -hmm. And even despite all of that, you still can get bit, but you significantly reduce your chances of getting bit. Um, the big one is going to be, you know, wearing clothing that is treated. Um, mm -hmm. So permethrin is one of the chemicals that's typically used. I mean, it's, it's you know, not a pleasant thing to think about, uh, you know, putting chemicals on the body, but it's, it's something that clothes get treated with. It's not something that actually goes on your body. Okay. And so you would buy the permethrin, treat the clothes. Usually they can get several washes out of them before that washes out, but it's a nerve agent to the ticks. So mm. um, kind of, even if they, if they get on or near the clothes, they, they're, they're poisoned by it in a sense. Um, and then I typically recommend for patients to use, you know, either natural sprays on the body um, with like geranium oil, um, you know, uh, things like that have lavender, eucalyptus, because when it comes to the smells and like the oils and like even DEET, um, which is another common one that's the commercial uh, typical bug sprays, uh, it's that you're trying to create an odor that drives them away because yeah. they have really sensitive sense of, of smell. They're not really mobile. Like ticks are not like fast. They're not fast like a mosquito or other insects. They, they're just hanging out on a blade of grass waiting. They yeah. don't really move yeah. around too much and they're not really fast. So, but they're very good at latching on really quick and grabbing onto, you know, a meal and sensing when that's coming. Mm -hmm. So there's things you can put on your, your, your body. Also with pets, I would say the Soresto collar is the one I'm hearing be the most effective with oh. dogs. Um, and I don't know if they make one approved for cats because I know it's a little bit different with cats in the use of, um, you know, repellents, um, like tick and flea, uh, just because of their body size and also, you know, toxicity. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, Tick checks are going to be, you know, checking yourself from head to toe after you go on an outing. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I would say what I've seen be most effective for my patients that I've treated, you know, because it's not just a disease you get once. You can get bit again and again. It's not like mm -hmm. getting chicken pox where you get, you know, and your body builds an immunity and, you know, um, it, you can get bit again. So I have patients that work in landscaping, that work in land surveying, that do, you know, have a lot of outdoor exposure that just keep getting sick over and over again. So when they send the, when they treat their clothes with the permethrin, it makes a huge difference with how many ticks, like they may walk away without treating their clothes. They may have like, like 20 or 30 or more ticks crawling on them wow. at the end of the day. Whereas they, when they've treated their clothes, they've seen a significant reduction in that. Okay. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. And of course yeah. there's the whole thing about removal and also you can test the tick. If you do find one on your body, it's really important to know that there are, there are companies where you can test the tick because that gives you a lot of information about what you were just exposed to because with blood work it's really difficult because stuff doesn't show up for a couple of weeks or maybe even not at all um and but yet you can still be infected so yeah so uh, with that like how do you get um i lost the word <laughs> infected how, yeah, like how do you know how do you know when a patient comes in that they have it like if it doesn't show up on their blood work like is there any other testing you can do or do you kind of just go with symptoms and knowledge around it like what how does that work so both so I um sometimes people so a lot of the labs that do more sensitive tick-borne disease testing mm -hmm. cost um, you know, have an out-of-pocket out, out cost. Whereas, you know, I, if I ran through a standard lab, those are typically covered by insurance. So first of all, we start with, you know, typically running through insurance first. Yeah. Um, and that's usually with standard labs, hospital labs and labs that are across the country. Um, and then if, if we want something more, if somebody wants something, you know, more substantial before deciding to treat, most of the time people come to see me because they have symptoms going on. And they, and, you know, they're not, kinda, some people come in because like they may have other family members that have Lyme and they're just, they just want to get evaluated and make sure that they don't have it. Cause there's a lot of people walking around that have Lyme that don't get symptoms. They don't get symptoms because their body, their immune system knows how to live with the spirochetes and doesn't get triggered. Oh. Yet they're still, they still have the spirochetes. 
So it, the big piece of this is how our immune system gets along with the bug. Okay. So, and, and how, how our body tries to get rid of it, but in the process ends up creating inflammation that just is chronic mm-hmm. and ongoing that ends up hurting us uh, over time. But uh, there are outside labs that are out of pocket that have, uh, that specialize more in tick-borne disease testing. Uh, Igenix is one of them that's very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, what makes their test, so the, com- the confirmatory test for Lyme is called the Western blot. Right now, the current system, if you were to go to your general practitioner, you would take something called an ELISA, which would be a screen. Mm-hmm. And then if that was positive, they would run a test to confirm with a Western blot. And But the thing is, the sensitivity where I find clinically, this is just my own opinion, um, that I find it to be very, it's supposed to be really sensitive and it's not. So people get a lot of false negatives. So I just typically run the Western blot for people. Uh, patients that come in. And so what makes the other companies different, like the out-of-pocket ones, like say Igenix, is that they include more data to Mm -hmm. make it cover more because there's more than one strain of Lyme. And so typically the, the ones that you would do through the standard labs that would go through insurance may just check for one strain. Whereas there are over 50 in the United States alone. So just because a test says negative doesn't mean that it's not there. So let's say someone's test says negative and let's say they can't afford to to spend out of pocket um, for testing, then it would be, hey, you know, gosh, you know, they were fine. And then all of a sudden, boom, they woke up one day and haven't been right since with headaches. Um, malaise, fatigue, fatigue uh, dizziness, body pain that migrates. So another s- symptom that happens with Lyme is that you'll see like one joint, like the shoulder will, will hurt at one point and then it'll migrate down to the hip and then it'll be the knees. And that might change even through the day, the course of the day. So you see migrating joint pain, nerve issues, neurologic issues, numbness, tingling, shooting, stabbing pains, um, you know, a, a change in mood a change in, you know, how they're, how they're feeling more anxious, more depressed where they were normally pretty easygoing people and, you know, didn't have these personality issues before. Um, So when you see symptoms in multiple areas of the body, not just the joints and the muscles, but also the heart, the lungs, the stomach, you know, the abdomen, the neurological system, you got to start to question, you know, why they were doing fine all of a sudden. And then now they're not. And it's, you know, it's very, it, there are few doctors there compared to the amount of people that have Lyme, there are very few doctors that, that treat it. Um, and so it's difficult for people to get a straight answer because everybody's got different opinions. It's a, it is a difficult um, disease to treat in a sense that there isn't an agreement across the, the board about, you know, what, it, what, what the, what it means to be positive and what constitutes, what, what, what confirms you being a Lyme patient. <laughs> So it's, it's a, you know, it's confusing for people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's frustrating too. Like if they, they're not sure what's going on and yeah. 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 And it's, it can, and then the treatment itself is not easy and it can, people uh, typically when they treat Lyme, you know, will get sick, sicker for a while before Mm -hmm. they get better. And that, that makes it even more difficult because it's not typical for other infections. We take a medication and we get better. Yeah. And one takes a longer treatment time in what I see in my practice. And, um, you know, it's hard to sell, Hey, okay, great. We found that you have Lyme, but now you're going to be sick for the next few months. And, you know, and and for people to stay compliant with treatment is very difficult because it's, it's, yeah, it's uncomfortable and it can be scary. Yeah. Yeah. I find that even with myself, like I, I struggle, even though I know something is going to help me in the long run. Like, for example, I'm doing just a very low-key type of liver detox right now, Mm -hmm. and um, I haven't felt great on it, and I felt better before, and I was (laughs) like, it's only two weeks, but I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, (laughs) this is nothing in comparison to, I'm sure, how your patients are feeling, But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to keep going when you're feeling worse in the beginning, even though it's hard to kind of see that, that outcome that could come, I think. So, so yeah, but what are some of the, the types of treatments that Lyme patients do? Is it well, kind of all over the board? 
Yeah, well, there are a lot of, um, there's always new treatments and things kind of coming up and um, experimental stuff uh, that, that's available. But uh, primarily in my practice, um, as a naturopath here in the state of New Hampshire, we have prescribing rights. So uh, I usually do a combination of herbs, um, you know, uh, supplements, um, changes in lifestyle, um, identifying things such as like food intolerances or um, looking at detox pathways. Um, and, and looking at even, and for instance, if they've got uh, mold or biotoxins like in the home, looking at mm -hmm. other areas that we can support, um, and then antibiotics for those that want to do that, um, yeah. and, and doing that in a combination. I never do antibiotics alone, so mm -hmm. it's either going to be natural medicine in combination with antibiotics or natural medicine alone, yeah. and I also do IV therapy here, so nutrients, um, chelation, heavy metal chelation. So I was, um, environmental medicine was one of my main focuses in medical school, and that's what I was going to specialize in before moving here to New mm -hmm. Hampshire. And it, it blends in well because it's a significant part of moving through Lyme is detoxification and being able to do that well um, or having support for that. Um, and, uh, you know, I also use homeopathy as well. Okay which is another natural medicine um, treatment that's been mm -hmm. around for a few hundred years. And it's, it's a little bit more complicated, but it's very helpful for the immune system Yeah, to support the symptoms around that. So, yeah. I feel like across all chronic illness, whether you have it or you're trying to stop yourself from getting it, food and lifestyle are key for a lot of people. They can be huge. Yeah. And like, that's interesting that you, you bring that up for Lyme too. I mean, I'm not surprised obviously, but like for me with Hashimoto's, I, I'm on a medication. I was recently switched to nature Throid instead of. Oh yeah. That's Zephyr. what I use. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I love was, it. Yeah. yeah. I love it so much more, but um, honestly it was the food and lifestyle changes that I made. Like we, we got a water filter. We live in Chicago. I feel like our water is awful here. So we got a water filter. Um, we changed out a lot of the products that we used. Um, just really taking a handle on stress, taking a handle yep. on, um, like my fiance and I both started going separately to therapy just, just so we could like handle that stressors that we were having. Um, there's just so many like little things, meditation, things that you can do. What are, yep. um, what are some lifestyle and food changes that you've made or that you've seen have really helped your patient? Yeah. And, and it, so it's, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up because a big portion of the book and the kind of the um, is, is about really the, the motivation for writing the book was more about support for um, the stressors um, that the body, the mind and the spirit kind of go through um, with mm -hmm. a long-term illness because it takes the toll. Yeah. And, um, and so, and there's also with Lyme, you know, and not to say other um, people with, uh, you know, and different illnesses don't have this, but particularly with Lyme, there seems to be disbelief in the community around them having a tick-borne disease and they mm -hmm. can be very isolating for people. And, um, and, and, and actually the majority or people typically don't die so much from Lyme disease. They usually die, people who have Lyme die because of suicide. Um, oh. Yeah, which are due to me changes mentally because of the infection and yeah. toxins in the brain that, that enhance and change mood and make things more extreme, but also because of isolation and loneliness and despondence, um, you know, because of not being believed in the community or with their, by the medical practitioners and being in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, the big one is, is trying to get people to, um, you know, really – when they're, when they're feeling sick and they're tired and they're in pain to, you know, try to say, Hey, <clears throat> find the motivation to make those changes is the first one. You know, mm -hmm. you can all talk about how great these things are to do, but it's really tough to find that, that, that inner fire that kind of comes up and that willpower to do it when you're really in a low place. And, and because of how long these uh, diseases last, it takes, you know, it's like a marathon and it takes a lot out of you to yeah. try to maintain and try to keep a face and maybe even go to work, raise your kids, you know, keep a life going when you feel sick all the time. And so yeah. that in itself is a trauma. So, um, you know, it, it, a lot of patients deal with PTSD because mm -hmm. of being sick, not, and then that doesn't even add on to what they may have experienced in their lives. So as far as lifestyle stuff, self-care is a big piece of it. Uh, mm -hmm. allowing themselves to receive help. Um, you know, there's kind of a personality type with, with, um, individuals that have a harder time where they've, they've got this, they don't want to ask for help. They don't want to be a bother. They don't want to be a nuisance. They, they want to do everything for everybody else and they don't make space for themselves. Yeah. 
to get enough rest or to, you know, uh, to say no <laughs> to yeah. things and, uh, or admit that they're sick and they can't do it. Um, and so a big part of it is, you know, making sure they've got a support system if, you know, if they need, if needed counseling, uh, that they've got mm-hmm. a family support system or friend network or that that's in place for them. And mm-hmm. then if not trying to get that for them or help them with that through support groups or something, because again, the, the mental emotional game in the marathon of having a chronic disease is, is really the, I think the most difficult part out of all mm-hmm. of it you know, rather than the physical. Um, as far as the changes in diet and lifestyle, uh, you know, obviously changes in what we're taking into our bodies. From an environmental standpoint, environmental medicine standpoint, it's all body burden. So mm-hmm. a microbe is another thing thrown in there. You're having the heavy metals, all other, you know, infections that you've had earlier on in your life. So mm-hmm. viruses, viruses that you've carried with you your whole life and will. Uh, and then you get another infection in there and that just adds to the the stress on the body. Now, most of the time with general stuff, the body can kind of handle stuff. You know, it Mm -hmm. it has the adrenal glands or it has the the ability to detoxify. It has, you know, things in place to be able to manage stress. But when someone has stress, psychological stress or a long history of it, um, you know, genetics that play a role and the fact that you might be someone who's more easily going to develop an autoimmune disease or um, easily develop a, you know, gluten intolerance or thyroid issues uh, or anxiety and depression that runs through the family. You know, that's also going to be another thing that's going to get more easily triggered. Uh, And then of course, toxins coming in for the environment. You know, we see it all over the news that you know, right now we're the question about how, how are, how's our food being managed, you know, mm-hmm. water, you know, water quality, food quality, air quality. Yeah. Uh, and that's just another assault to the system that even just the grant that the larger public is dealing with, but you add an illness in there uh, that's more complex like Lyme disease. And, and then it takes those things that the body was managing kind of holding together. And then mm-hmm. you throw Lyme in there and it's like, it just can't anymore. The body just goes, it just can't. <laughs> It's yeah, like that's it's, enough, like tipping point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the person who had stuff where they had enough to be able to get through and get by um, catches up with them. So, you know, having discussion about dietary changes, um, typically taking out as much sugar, as much processed foods. Um, so keeping things as close to their natural form as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, eating organic if, it's, if, it's, if you can afford that. And then kind of knowing when you can swap stuff in and out and what's most important to eat organic or clean as possible eating simply um anti-inflammation so the the foods that are more you know anti-inflammatory foods versus Mm pro-inflammatory and that things are working regularly just the simple stuff are you sleeping you know are you sleeping well at night uh are you having regular bowel movements you know it it really just getting back to even just the simplicity of the regular rhythms of life daily life um so those are always discussions that i have with folks coming in and some are more willing to change and probably at a point where they're kind of hit bottom and they're ready to make changes that they, that they wouldn't have done before if they hadn't been prompted by the illness to finally like get to a place of desperation to finally maybe quit smoking or give up fast food, um, give up sugar, uh, you know, and not, I'm not talking sugar like fruit, um, but I'm talking sugar like pastries and candy and, um, so that that's and then of course are we hydrated enough? Are we getting enough water? You know, or is your primarily are you primarily hydrated through the day with soda and with coffee? Yeah. Um, just just kind of trying to keep your energy up to get through the day. Yeah. Um, versus actually just drinking straight water. Yeah. <laughs> and flushing out. So it's crazy how much of those. I mean, same from personal experience. I grew up eating and drinking the standard American diet. Like I, we had hamburger helper for dinner every night. We had canned food, you know, like SpaghettiOs. We had, oh, yeah. um, me too. <laughs> yeah, like my mom loved soda. So we always had soda. Like we could have juice, milk or water for dinner. And it was like, well, of course I'm going to pick this sugary thing. I'm not going to pick water. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it wasn't until this was even before my thyroid, um, was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I think I might've had it at that point, but it was before it was diagnosed. And I had a boyfriend at the time and he was like, how much water have you drank today? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I've had enough. And he's like, how much water have you drank? And really all I could remember was taking, when I took my medication in the morning, I drank water with that. And that was it. And that was like a typical day. I would have soda. I would have, I was in college. I was drinking, you know, Mountain Dew. I was drinking like sugary things from Starbucks. Like I had no idea what was going on. And 
even now I'm much, I don't drink, eat or drink like that much at all. Um, but even with water, just remembering, like I was having a lot of headaches and I, I see a naturopathic doctor too. And she was, oh great she was just like, how much water are you drinking a day? And I'm like, well, I think I'm drinking enough. And she's like, well, can like try to go through your day and just count it. And it was crazy. I mean, I still get headaches pretty easily, but when I really pay attention to my water, I don't notice them as often. So I definitely think that it can be a trigger for my headaches. I don't think it's the 100% um, like cause, but I do think mm-hmm. that dehydrating myself is definitely a reason that I get them pretty often. So yeah, it's just interesting. Like when you're thinking about it, it's really some of these basic level life changes that you that you don't even think about daily you're not like sitting there counting how much water you're drinking you're not thinking about if you like went to the bathroom in the morning or not or things like that and um, I noticed the most differences in the beginning of my journey when I really did pay attention to that and I was like oh yeah I'm not going to the bathroom every day yeah Yeah. Um, and and that and that can feel normal because if that's what we and what you've done, that's always been your reality, then, well, yeah, oh, I'm even, I'm better. I go every other day now, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and where it used to be like, you would go once a week, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's not something you just go talking to people about like, Hey, how often do you go? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so until you get to the doctor and naturopaths really want to know what's going on with, uh, you know, we're trained to do a more in-depth history. And we yeah. want to, you know, we really want to know what's going on with your bowel movement. I always tell people, cause you know, especially teenagers, they get all squirmy in the chair and they're just yeah. like, oh man, oh, but yeah. I'm like, I want to know what's going on. Like what's, you know, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing there? Because that's a really big, important, uh, it shows me what's going on with your health, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or so, yeah. And, and it was, as far as water, sort of the typical naturopathic, um, what I was taught, uh, the rule with water is about half your body weight in ounces per day. Mm-hmm. is something to, something to strive for. That wouldn't be something to just like all of a sudden do like yeah. because your body wouldn't be used to that. And you'd probably go into the bathroom a lot, but it, you know, work your way up to that. Um, and just kind of having that. And, but the, the other thing too, is not to have it so much with meals because you really don't want to dilute your stomach acid throughout the day. Um, and a lot of people try to get all their water in when they're having their food and then wonder yeah. why they're not, you know, their stomach doesn't feel great or they're not breaking down food as well because they're diluting their stomach acid. Yeah. So um, making sure that, that, that people understand that, you know, have a water bottle with you through the day and drink that little by little as you go, uh, especially if you can do that at work or something like that. Um, but then minimize it when you're eating uh, to get the maximum amount out of your food. Mm-hmm. Um, so little things like that, that just don't come up. And then also, you know, talking about, well, what, how are we eating consistent meals? Like, again, just getting back to the simplicity, what are you eating? And then are you skipping breakfast, just having a cup of coffee in the morning and then taking supplements or doing all these other lifestyle things, but you're not really having any food after, you know, not eating all night long yeah. uh, and not eating until later in the day. Um, typically, you know, and there's different theories about, you know, there's so many different different diets out there and different theories about how we should be eating and what we should be doing. But I've always subscribed to the larger meal in the morning, mm-hmm. mid-sized meal, midday, and the smallest one in the evening, the lighter one, just with how our metabolism goes. Cause our adrenals are firing really high in the morning or you know, as they should be to get us up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they gradually go down, down through the day. Our, our hormones are more on, you know, more in a, in a metabolic state of burning and kind of just ready to get you through the day and go. And then if you know, we're eating later in the evening, we're not getting the maximum amount of our food, like the nutrients out of our food because everything's yeah. sort of slowed down. So um, again, just, just simple stuff like that. The other piece too, um, outside of digestion is uh, neurologically and mentally, emotionally, you know, um, you know, we think in terms of detoxing and eating and we think in terms of the physical, but there's also how are we dealing, as you mentioned, stress and that you and your partner, mm-hmm. are, you know, going to counseling and just finding a place to start working on that and acknowledge it and giving it space. Yeah. The other thing we don't do very well in this culture, um, especially with illness is people don't have space. They don't have space to recover. You know, we got it like, let's get this done. I, I need to get better as soon as possible. I got to get back to work. I can't have time off of work. I got to get, you know, and even in the community what's reflected back to Lyme patients is why aren't you well, why aren't you better yet? Why aren't you yeah. well? And that can be another pressure that's really painful for someone to keep coming up against when they have tick-borne disease to be, you know, to have to keep explaining, you know, that, no, this takes a long time. I don't know how I'm going to feel next week. I might feel really good for a week or so, and then I'm going to tank again. Mm-hmm. And you know, that a lot of people get, you know, they get, they get, people get impatient because they either want to fix it 
or they, they think you're, you know, you might be milking it Yeah. (laughs) or they just lose their empathy. They're like, okay, all right. Yep. Still sick. Okay. And so uh, that furthers the isolation for individuals. Um, So, but we don't tend to make space for ourselves to digest the stressors in our life, you know, so it's not just about digesting our food, but I I practice energy medicine and um, shamanic healing methods. And, and I'm very interested in in delving into, you know, the unconscious subconscious and Mm -hmm. and lifestyle of just how we work with our, you know, with our our thoughts, feelings and and self-care from that perspective. And, and how we hold on to things um, mm-hmm. and how, you know, and that's so important, especially now with all of the distractions going on and, you know, with iPhones and everything seems to be speeding up and yeah. it, you know, we're getting less and less time to really just be calm, quiet. And our nervous systems are just hardwired. They're just over stimulated. Mm-hmm. And so again, another reason why tick-borne disease can be so difficult is that if you already have an overstimulated nervous system from your own stressors in life, whatever they may be, you know, whatever your background is or your current life situation, you add on an infection on that along with trying to cope with keeping your life stand, status quo. Mm-hmm. And the nervous, the nervous system just can't do all that. They can't maintain that. And then crashes happen. Um, and so trying to avoid that, trying to main, my, my main job is to provide a treatment that's going to be in alignment with what the person wants and what's, you know, what they're going to, you know, and try to make it individualized, but help them be able to sustain. So Mm -hmm. have sustainability and, and be able to maintain themselves through the process, you know, without, with minimizing those crashes or those, you know, highs and lows that come. Um, so a big piece of it is making that space to really digest and detox our neurological system through meditation, through self-care yoga. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's just walking outside, even just going outside and do earthing, taking your shoes off and yeah. putting feet on the ground and just kind of just being, just mm-hmm. be, we don't know how to just be with yep. ourselves and be quiet. In fact, I ask a lot of people, you know, do you have meditation in, in your life and do you make space for that? Do you make space to just be quiet or prayer? You know, if it's part of their spiritual practice and their, their religious beliefs, you know, we, and we reframe it goes, you know, is this prayer time for you? Um, so, and they're like, well, I tried and it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't meditate. I could and I, well, that, that, that means you need to do that even more because it, that yeah. means that's how noisy everything is. And that's not good for your immune system and your neurological system where we're all connect. All those parts are connected. Yeah. Um, and have an impact on how well your white blood cell count is going to perform and your immune system is going to be able to handle stuff and your body's going to be able to detox stuff if it's, if your nervous system's in that state of fight or flight all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that, that just, uh, that's, that's a really important piece for me that I, I find um, I have a lot of interest in as part of my specialty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually um, huge. That's where my fiance and I are focusing on our lives right now, actually, is just how can we quiet our lives down a little bit more. Um, we both meditate, which is great, but we live in a high rise in Chicago um, on a busy street. We both work downtown. So we never can truly shut off. Like even now I can hear the cars going by. Even when I'm meditating, I have to wear headphones because I can hear people outside. I can hear, you know, and like grounding is really difficult because I'm not really sure I want to go put my bare feet on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it's crazy. Like we, we have seriously um, thought about moving in the next year um, out of the city, even if it was just to the suburbs of Chicago, just because we need a little bit more of that space. Um, just mentally, we're, I'm, I work in social media full time. He's a personal trainer. So we both, I'm on my phone a lot. I'm on the computer a lot. He is like physically talking to people and he can't work out right now because he has an illness. But like, um, you know, still a very physical job, very often talking to people, having to be on all the time, working right downtown. So those are things that we're, we're trying to figure out because we've made all these other changes in our life that have really helped. And this is kind of a big one that we know we're going to have to change soon because we're both kind of craving that. We'll go to Michigan for a weekend and it's insane. Like I feel like an, an entirely different person because I'm able to just be in nature and kind of chill a little bit. But, um, but yeah. Well, it's, it's also, 
Um, well, I mean, in New Hampshire here, most of us have, I, mean, I grew up in the city, so, uh, and I, but I've lived here in New Hampshire for about 12 years. Uh, I, I guess I should say I grew up in the suburbs. So we still had like, it's Oregon, you know, we had trees. It was, you know, <laughs> there was still outdoorsy stuff and parks and everything, yeah. you know, but, um, but it's even more so here, uh, expansive, a lot more land, uh, a lot more nature. Everybody's backyard is a forest, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, that kind of, um, more rural. Um, but you know, another common thing is trying to, you know, trying to convince somebody to get outside and go for a hike and do stuff when that's how they got sick to begin with. Yeah. They're <laughs> it's like, also really oh, hard. I'm like, that. <laughs> yeah. And it used to be such a big part of their lives. And people here are very, just like in other areas where there's a lot of beautiful, um, areas to explore here that it's, there's the same. And so hiking and camping and all those outdoor stuff used to be such a big part of these individuals lives. And now they're so afraid to go yeah. out there that that also hinders their healing because they used to, you know, I think one of my patients gave a really great, he called it, he he's, he's missing dirt church, like going yeah. out, you know, it was like, yeah. <laughs> that was his, that, that was his cathedral. That was his church. And now yeah. he's, he's got this anxiety about going out there. So part of that is also, you know, a big part of my job, the medical stuff, I can, you know, getting through someone's case and their symptoms and everything else and, and deciding on what I'm going to put in their body for a medication or a supplement is, you know, I find streamlined and easy. A majority of the job with being a doc that treats tick-borne disease is really list sitting and holding space for someone to be able to talk about how they're handling and managing going through the process and giving them a space to do that and coaching them through that and encouraging them to move through um, fears like that, to go outside, you know, and talking about ways to modify or to try to help them be able to do that. And, and so, you know, and, and so that's really invaluable, I think, for patients to be able to come and have that space to just be heard, understood, not have to defend what they're going through. And, yeah. um, but then troubleshoot some of these things that really could be healing for them mm-hmm. to get out and about and have that quiet. And you notice a lot of people are moving in, you know, there's a lot of growth and development here in this area just in the past few years, I think, because so many people are looking to slow down yeah. and simplify. And you see all these shows like Marie Kondo about decluttering and like simplifying it. Yeah, I think we all are feeling everybody, you know, all of our nervous systems, whether you have tick-borne disease or other chronic illnesses or no chronic illnesses, I think everybody's feeling very sped up and frenetic a bit, yeah. you know, and just trying to find a, a center, trying to find their center again. Yeah. Yeah. So, bringing it back home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. I think, um, too, just another, like you were talking about with how, um, how other people might not understand your journey or might kind of think that it should be going quicker. One thing that I struggle with, and I know other people with chronic illness is, um, the, the pressure that I put on myself. So it's also kind of learning how to deal with, your own personal self-talk and like how you're talking to yourself. Are you allowing yourself to heal? Are you afraid of healing? Because this is, you know, like you understand how it feels to be sick. Maybe you, maybe you aren't sure how it feels to be well. So that's kind of scary or, or even just for me, I mean, I was always told that I was being a hypochondriac or that I was depressed. And so after a while I was like, okay, maybe my, maybe I'm making these symptoms up. Maybe I am a hypochondriac, like, you know, and just being like, okay, Jesse, yeah, you have another headache today, but whatever, you always have headaches. Like, instead of being like truly an advocate for myself and taking care of myself. So I think that that's something too, that's becoming more normalized. I feel like people are truly delving into self-care and self-talk now, but, um, but it doesn't come naturally sometimes. And I think that that's a big part of healing too. Oh, absolutely. And that is a big piece of what, you know, when people come in and they've been told, like when I confirm they have Lyme Mm -hmm. and they've been told many years by many doctors that they're just, they have, usually people get diagnosed with psychosomatic uh, or conversion disorder or, you know, that they, uh, and then I confirm they have a disease. It even takes time for them to accept that. Are you sure I do? Like, (laughs) even though they come to me and they want to know, as soon as I tell them, because they've been told that so much and had to just, and and let that belief sink in, trying Mm -hmm. to unwind that belief and let that unravel and let, let go of that. And then the other piece is individuals that really get debilitated, um, you know, that I see with tick-borne disease where they literally maybe go on one outing a week or Mm -hmm. one outing, you know, I, like they're just in bed for weeks and days on end, maybe not being able to bathe, take care of themselves. And then they start to get better. Then there is that whole piece of needing support to reintegrate back into 
life that, yeah. you know, uh, the, okay, now what do I do? You know, because yeah, they've been yeah. so focused on being sick and now they actually feel better, but it's like, okay, now what do I do with my time? And, you know, and then moving into back into the world and trusting their bodies again, trusting mm-hmm. that their body isn't going to fail them mm-hmm. and that they're not, that, that if they move into something and start moving forward with their lives, that all of a sudden the rug isn't going to be pulled out from under them and they're going to get sick again. So it takes yeah. time psychologically to not get it. And that's the PTSD. And, yeah. you know, like, oh my gosh, okay, it's been really good for a couple months. Like, but what if I get into this? And because people have to plan around their infection, plan mm-hmm. around their symptoms. Like, okay, I can go do that today and go to the grocery store, but I'm going to feel like crap and have to probably be in bed for a few hours for the, or for the rest of the day if I go and do that. And so they, they don't, or, you know, they may have friends that invite them to go do stuff and people that try to incorporate lives and they have to say no all the time. So then social, social support goes away because they can't involve themselves in those things because they can't predict how they're going to feel. So then when they are better, it's like, it's really lonely (laughs) to try to, and then have to go reestablish and then have people get used to you being, especially like in parenting, if you were, you know, you got two parents in the house and one has been ill for a long time and then all of a sudden they feel better. There's also this kind of re-equilibrium in the house of, you know, now getting used to, well, mom, oh, mom's disciplining us again. Mom's up, you yeah. know, mom's, mom's up and around and like wants us to do stuff again or up between partners, you know, like having that rebalance in the home. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it is a big issue of helping people. Again, that's that piece of you know, mental, emotional support mm-hmm. that it's so important because all of these things aren't really, you don't really think about it and aren't really talked about as much with disease. Um, you know, from like a, if we just think in terms of like going to the doctor, doing your thing, treating, mm-hmm. um, that all these other components take people by surprise. So I try to prepare them like, Hey, doing counseling right now, putting these things in place, because when you do get better, you know, there may be some, also some grief that comes up about the loss of mm-hmm. time that you yeah. had. Uh, the things you missed out on Um, kids that are in high school that have to take a year off or a couple years off of high school. They didn't get their traditional school experience or college. And then realizing that all their peers have moved on and started working or, you know, that, that comes up for people. And then there's a lot of anger and resentment and grief that needs to, needs to be allowed to be digested and move on to. So I think that it's actually a good thing for me. When people have those feelings come up, I'm more one to let's find a process to help you let you to help you move that through mm-hmm. learn how to like let that move through your system to digest so talking about how we let that move through our bodies because it's gonna it, it does land in our tissues you know we do have somatic manifestations of our when we get stressed out I mean this ones that are most common is going to be the tight shoulders or feeling you know that knot in your stomach mm-hmm. um, but learning techniques to let the emotions come out um, letting ourselves cry if we need to cry and not sucking it back and swallowing it down. Um, that that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're going to lose it and that now you need to be on a medication because you're anxious or depressed because when other people get uncomfortable with your emotions or we're uncomfortable with our emotions, we want to start to give it a diagnosis and try to treat it. Now there are obviously legitimate cases where that is needed and required, or it might even be um, something where you would do an herb or a, a prescription medication to help with the mental emotional piece. And there's no shame in that, but it, it's, it's really important and powerful to bring in the self-care piece. And the, as you said, the self-advocacy and, and a process um, having that in place to work on it, let it come out. And then eventually not needing to be on meds and being able to feel more at peace. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody's looking for, you know, whether it's illness, mental, emotional, whatever, we're all trying to get back to center. We're all trying to get back to a place of just feeling at ease in the yeah. world, whatever that means, you know, yeah. so we, you know, we treat using medications and, and diet and, 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 you know, supplements and all sorts of stuff and acupuncture and, and, um, you know, um, even hands-on healing, like Reiki going to people who provide that, but there ha- there's also that piece that it can only go so far if we don't, don't work from the inside out. So you have to, you know, you would do those things from the outside in to treat the body where it's at in the moment, but the inside outward work is about who are we building for, you know, who are we going to be in mm-hmm. two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. I mean, we're, we're rebuilding ourselves. Yeah. Um, and there's a deeper healing that happens when you, when you can get that willpower to come up and be able to kind of get that fire to come up and, you know, want to, work from that inside out. And that's, you know, again, it's not easy and people have their own timing when they're going to do that and when they're going to make that their priority. And then it's just being patient and, 
you know, accepting them for where they're at in their process and just helping them wherever they're at. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I know I got a little long winded. No, no, I love that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think that sometimes, especially with, at least for me personally, how I was raised, like if I had strep throat, I got a medication and it was gone in a couple of days. Like if I had, you know, so I think that with a chronic illness, it's hard sometimes to let yourself understand that it's not going to be immediate and it is going to be something that you have to work through. And it is something that there's going to be a lot of things in your life that you have to work on or that change or grieve because maybe that's, maybe that part of your life is over. Like for me, for example, I can't eat gluten. It's just, it doesn't work with me. It doesn't work with my Hashimoto's. Yeah. I'm just like, and sometimes it sucks. Sometimes I really want like a breadstick or I really wish that I could order something um, as easily as someone else can from a restaurant. But, and it was like, it sounds silly, but it was kind of a grieving for me. It was getting over some of these things that I really loved that I can't do anymore. For me currently, I can't currently work out as hard as I used to be able to. I used to be, you know, really into um, like bodybuilding type workouts and I was really strong and I did all these things and, and then my body was like, nope, you can't do that anymore. And that's something that possibly could come back to, to a degree at least, but it's, it's just remembering that things are changing. Sometimes you need to grieve that change. And then also, um, sometimes it'll come back. Sometimes you might be able to do it or you'll find something else that you really love to do instead. So I think that it's, it's hard when you're in it, but you have to just try to focus on the good that could come from it or the good that has come from it. I mean, with my chronic illness, there are some really crappy parts about it, but at the same time, like now I have this podcast where I get to talk to really interesting people who are dealing with all kinds of things and learn about all kinds of different people's stories and, you know, things like that, that I never would have even thought about, but now I get to do that. And that's because of my Hashimoto's. That's because I shared my story. So I think that it's, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's good and it's bad, but you, you have to decide what you're going to focus on. And that's it. And, you know, I think for me, I, I, I was treating I was, I was a doctor and treating patients for all sorts of stuff, um, including tick-borne disease, but having it and going through a process uh, with chronic disease like that for a few years, uh, I definitely had my days where I, I many temper tantrums, many yeah. like emotional breakdowns and like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to get well. This is it. And my mom died when I was young. And so mm-hmm. I, I had a bunch of fear come up that I didn't realize I had about dying young. My kids were, you know, really young at the time, they still are, they're nine and 11, but, uh, it, it really triggered all this old stuff that I had no idea that I was carrying around with me to yeah. that level of intensity because it got poked. Yeah. And, and I definitely went through that, but it, it gives me, it makes me a better doctor for it because mm-hmm. I can sit with people in their ups and their downs and, and be there because I've been there myself with my own, yeah. my own stuff and my own stories and, and they're having their own stuff and their own, and their own process. But, um, you know, and, and just moving through it, uh, helps, has helped what I, what's become my life path. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so going through the disease itself, actually, you know, thankfully I, you know, I'm in, I'm in a good place with that right now physically and, and I'm feeling stronger than I have in a long time, but it, it took a long time to get here and a lot of twists and turns. And, and so, yeah, yeah. So I'm right there with you. I think, I think it's just, it's a matter of how you embrace it and how you see it and then what you're willing to let go of. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. how well, how well you can do that. And also letting go of story, letting mm-hmm. go of telling, of, of being honest and authentic about how we feel about something and allowing that to move, but also letting go of, you know, being stuck in the story mm-hmm. of being a sick person and, and actually living according to the definition of our diagnosis as well and yeah. being able to let that go and move on from that. Um, and that those are big things and yeah. uh, everybody's in their different place with that in different time. So, yeah. Yeah. So I want to, I want to make sure that we talk about your book too. So is like, what brought you to the point to write your book and tell us, tell us a little bit more about it because I'm sure people would be interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had, was approached by a publishing company to write it. Uh, And, and at first I was like, what? 
write a book, <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, but when given that opportunity, when that when opportunity knocks, you know, I was like, well, why not? You know, so I, I, uh, I, 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 it ended up working out with the company. They were lovely to work with. And it, I was helped all along the way, you know, with support, uh, being a new author. Um, mm. I mean, it, I wrote the book myself, but it, I had a lot of help um, just how to, you know, and getting through it. It took about a year and a half to write it. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it, you know, every moment I had extra to spare, you know, <laughs> I was writing even at my, I, I, I shudder to say, but at my kids, like basketball games and stuff, if they weren't on the, actively playing on the court, I had the computer open and it was yeah. right. Cause I was maintaining my practice at the same time and had a resident that I was training. So I, but the main motivation, they asked me to write a book about, you know, we want to do a book on, on nutritional medicine and herbal medicine and natural healing and Lyme. I'm like, that's great. And I can, I can incorporate that. But to me, again, it's always been, I have a background in social work and in crisis management and, mm it's always been about what's going on with the culture of Lyme patients and that they feel like someone understands what they're going through and that, you know, that there's a book out there they can hand to their family member or that they can read themselves. Because again, Lyme patients tend not to want to tell people that they're going through what they're going through because they don't want to have to hear that they don't have it or, you know, so they keep it to themselves. So there's so many times we're at my waiting room, I want to introduce everybody, but I'd be breaking confidentiality <laughs> by doing that. Yeah. But I'm like, oh my gosh, do you guys, oh, I would love it if you guys could talk and, you know, <laughs> and there have been actually support groups that have formed um, from patients that have met each other through my, you know, just oh, in my IV, things like that, that have created, yeah. yeah, that have gotten, that have really been um, pivotal in the community here and helpful. Uh, and that's been fun to watch that, you know, patients that I've treated now being able to provide support to others in the community because they're mm-hmm. feeling well enough to do that and be yeah. able to speak from a place of, you know, uh, you know, having some street cred that they've been through, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. some really dark times with the disease. So, um, so that being said, I, I wrote it um, to really just bring forward all the, you know, I, I tell patients I have a menu, you know, I have a menu of options and I, and I, I delve into many different aspects of healing. Uh, as a naturopath, we're trained as primary care providers and, and treating Lyme means I, I treat multiple issues going on in the body that even, you know, beyond like if, if someone's going through menopause at the same time that they have Lyme, you know, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, so, you know, but just have, being able to talk about that and weave in all the different modalities that, mm-hmm. you know, I work with in order to help people feel better. But then also, again, talking about what's going on culturally, socioeconomically, mm-hmm. you know, we don't talk about the money um, yeah. that's involved and that's it, what it takes to just get over tick-borne disease when it's not really re- recognized by the larger medical model and insurance companies aren't going to cover um, some things that people want to do that really help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and then people lose, you know, being on disability and being, you know, it's impacting workforce, it's impacting quality of life and, um, you know, productive people being productive in their mm-hmm. lives and being able to earn for themselves or educate themselves. Um so th- there's a lot of those things that are playing a role here that just are just beyond having the illness themselves that are just impacting people's daily lives. And so I, I just, I tried the best I could to, to talk about what's happening in marriages, what's happening in daily life um, for individuals. So that again, that if someone wanted to pass it over to a family member that isn't, maybe just doesn't quite understand, you mm-hmm. know, or is trying to, wants to, but doesn't yeah. quite understand all the facets that it could be a way of someone being able to communicate that, you know, I could speak for them. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I can speak for them through the book without them having to do it themselves. And that, that's, um, that was my motivation in writing it. And that, that's what brought me the joy in writing it. So, yeah, I love that so much. I think that, yeah, I just love that so much. I think that that would be so helpful, especially like you just said, like giving it to someone that maybe doesn't understand what you're going through or, you know, a partner that really wants to understand what you're going through, but maybe you're not willing to tell them or it's just not clicking. So being able to give them something that they can read and they can understand and they can try to um, hold a little bit more empathy for you, I think is, is really important. Well, and seeing it from an outside source, you know, not just coming from that person, because then if they're just, if they end and everybody's trying as hard as they can, and in relationships and everything else, it's like, I know that, you know, typically people don't wish harm on their family, you know, they genuinely might think that, you know, they just need more of this or that, and this might fix it, and that, you know, and they're just not getting it, and, you know, that kind of, so, um, the, you know, hearing it from another outside source, that's, you know, not just directly from the family member, just gives more credibility or, or hopefully gives more strength to what the person's going through 
um, to, to speak for them for the, you know, and I hope I did it justice to speak from the patient perspective. So, yeah. 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 So if people wanted to get the book, where could they get it? Well, uh, it's, the book is called Rising Above Lyme Disease, mm-hmm. and uh, it's available through Barnes & Noble and through Amazon. It's mm. also a Kindle. It's a Kindle book as well, and I mean, I sell it here in my office. There's a lot of bookstores here in the area that sell it. Um, yeah. You can ask your local bookstore if they'd be willing to sell it or a library if they'd be willing to carry it, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, 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 it's available and distributed, um, and the publisher is Quattro. Awesome. Awesome. I'll have all the links in, in the show notes as well as the blog post that I do with this. So if anybody wants to just click a link and grab it, they'll be able to, but, but yeah, is there anything else you'd like to chat about or tell, tell the listeners of the podcast today? Well, um, just thank you for listening. I hope that I've connected, uh, and, and helped you feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then if they want to learn more about my practice, they can mm-hmm. visit my website at uh, greenhousemedicine.com. Perfect. Perfect. I'll also have that linked just, just in case they, they're driving right now and can't write yeah. that. <laughs> so and thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so glad you were on. This was enlightening for me. I don't, I mean, I know a little bit just from people in the chronic illness space that talk about having Lyme, but um but yeah, it was so enlightening for me to understand a little bit more. So I really appreciate it too. All right. Thank Perfect. you.